Hello, my dear friends, and welcome. Buana Asafiwe, as they say. Buana Asafiwe, they say it in Swahili. It means praise the Lord. Why don't you try it? Buana Asafiwe. Asafiwe, there we go. So uh, Buana Asafiwe, praise the Lord, and hey, and a holy fist bump to all my friends at the Abingdon campus, the Aberdeen campus. How you doing? Only a few months old. Edgewood people, how are you? Mountain Road people and online. Glad you're with us. I have been in Africa and I am back and I'm super excited to tell you stories and show you pictures. There'll be a time for that I want to tell you about. The reason we went to Africa was to create a, a virtual mission trip. We got all this great footage so you can go there and experience it without having to leave home. That's coming up in uh, November. We'll give you information about that. So stay tuned. You got to register for that in November. You know, when we were in Africa, we, um, we saw some elephants everywhere, not real elephants. They were like pictures of elephants because we didn't get out to see real elephants. But it's so fitting that we saw elephants there because when we came back here, guess what? There's an elephant in the room here too. And we got to talk about the elephant in the room. So check this out. Yeah, I got a delivery for, oh, all right. Just need a signature right there. What's Great. going on here? Hey, 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 wait, wait a minute. Did you order stuff online again? No, 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 no. I'm sorry, sir. You're going to have to take no, this back. No, no. Just sign for it. Please. Sir, I'm not paying for that. We got to talk about this. Hey, listen, you can't be buying stuff like this. What do we talk about buying, overspending, and doing all this stuff, man? Like, you know, we can't afford that. We got to get better at that. Come on, you got to help me out. Wait. Wait a minute. Is, is that a massage gun? Fun stuff. The elephant is in the room, and I really want to encourage everyone who's hearing my voice to sign up for an FPU class, be part of this journey. We're going to learn some stuff. We're going to make some healthy changes, and we're going to feel better about ordering our finances God's way and just deal with less stress, less debt, less frustration, less confusion about the whole mess. So I want to really encourage you to do it. It's a, it's a train that's loading up right now and hundreds and hundreds of people are already on the train. Don't want you to miss it. So get registered for that. FPU class is coming right up, all right? So it's Labor Day, Labor Day weekend. What do you, uh, what do you typically think of uh, when you think of Labor Day? Um, I often think of the New York uh, the U.S. Open. It's held in New York City, a tennis tournament, and my wife and I like to go up there sometimes and watch it on TV. What do you, maybe you think of cookouts or having certain people over that you have every year on Labor Day. I know I have a buddy who runs a 5K every Labor Day. I met my wife, uh, Carla, on Labor Day weekend, 1987. I love Labor Day, right? We, there's a lot of things we probably associate with Labor Day, and the irony is, I think it's kind of interesting, I don't know that I, 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 we ever really uh, think about labor, you know, work. <laughs> we just don't tend to associate it with it. It's a day off of work for a lot of us, but we want to think a little bit about work this weekend. What, is it, what does God have to say about work? What, how, how can I integrate this 
faith that I have in Jesus with this work. I mean, if I say that God is really, really important and he's this big part of my life when, and the data says that work is a huge part of a vast majority of Americans' lives, like, you know what? The average worker in America spends about 90,000 hours on the clock. And if these two things are so big, doesn't it make sense that we would maybe think a little bit about how to integrate them and how they work together? Especially like, What's God telling me about my work at this stage and season of my life? That's a question I think we all should have. So we're in this series. We're, we're digging around in First Peter and working our way through lots of great passages and learning so much because Peter was writing to people like us who were divided and splittered and, and uh, really stressed out. And he was, this guy, Peter, was one who knew Jesus and walked with Jesus knew him as well as anyone, and he says sometimes you got to stand. And he just calls us to stand. So we've been working through some of those different messages from First Peter on the theme of stand. We started by saying you got to stand out sometimes to walk with Jesus. Against, you got to stand out against conformity. That was a real call to purity and going against the ways of the world. And then we, Josh Simonette was here to talk about standing together against the horrible division in our time. It was a call a call to unity. And then we said sometimes you just have to stand firm against struggles and hardship and temptations and I, I let my mama talk to you uh, with just a call to persevere. And then last week, Jared helped us see how to stand strong against persecution, to a call to faithfulness with believers all over the world. And today we want to wrap up this whole thing with some important ideas about standing at work. Standing at work. How do you really live for God in the marketplace? How do you be on mission in our work? Because as Gallup pollster Jim Clifton says, the single most dominant thought on most people's minds is about having a good job and what their job is like. If it's that big a deal, we got to figure this out. Now my son, um, Andrew, writes code for Google and he's never been in the office, okay? Work is changing a lot and and especially during the pandemic, it's changed. We work from home, we work remotely, we want more flexibility, we wanna work with our dog, we wanna work in our underwear, we want all this stuff that's changing, there's a lot that's changing. Another thing that's changing is there's 9.2 million jobs that are unfilled right now and nobody wants them and there's a lot of reasons somebody somebody handed me a time magazine with the new the new title says rethinking work and there's a lot of stuff that's been rethought and is going to be rethinking about work lately but there's some things that really haven't changed at all and one of those things is this that no matter where we are on all this stuff about the 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 way work is changing and being rethought we all want to know that whatever we do matters don't we? We want to know that it counts for something. Richard Leiter asked senior citizens over a 25-year period what they would do if they could live their life all over again. Like, if you could just kind of go back, what would you do? And they said things like, man, I would, I would reflect more. I would take more risks. But one of the things that almost all of them said is I would just make sure that I was doing things that were really fulfilling, not just to my life, but to something beyond my life. I would, I would want to make sure I was contributing, that I, would having, that I was having a life of real consequence. 
that I was touching the transcendent, that I made a difference in someone's life. These are the things that we say when we look back and we, want, and we have a moment of clarity and we know what life is really meant to be about. 75%, Barna says, are looking for a way for a more meaningful life. So we better figure out how to integrate faith and work because faith takes, work takes all this time and faith calls us to make a difference and and yet the other reality is that most of the data shows that a lot of us are just kind of tired and stressed out. We don't really enjoy our work all that much, some of us. A lot of us are t- overworked and depressed. You know, a vast majority of heart attacks happen on Monday morning and almost never on Saturday and rarely in the month of July when so many people are vacationing because work, work. So let's spend a couple minutes Maybe developing what we could call a theology of work, just for a second. Just, it won't be a, a perfect picture, but let's dig into God's word a little bit to kind of figure out what does God think about, well, what should I as a Christian think about work? And you don't have to go very far in your Bible if you turn and open to the very first page. The very first sentence, we have a model of work right there. We're introduced to God. In the beginning, God, and then the very first word to describe God tells us he's a worker. God created. That's what God does. He created the heavens and the earth. It says, here's God, and then we watch God, and he goes to work. That's the first thing we know about God. He forms the heavens and the earth and the sky and the sea and the land and the forest and the birds. He's an entrepreneur. He's a creator. He's a worker. He works on purpose. He works hard. He works steady. He works creatively. He works with a plan. And then partway along the way, he he creates people, right? Right? And what do we see? The Bible says that he created humans in his own what? Image. He says, this one's going to be a little mini me, a little micro icon of me that I'm going to put as a representation of myself all over the planet. In his image, we're created. So of course, this thing, the first thing we learn about God is he's a worker. He creates us in his image. So he puts us over the planet to do what? Of course, to work. When we meet Adam, that's the first thing we learn about him. He's put to work to rule over and care for the livestock, the fish, the earth. God says, I made all this stuff. I got it. Someone's got to take care of this. That's what you're for. I'll make you a little mini me. And you can join me in this effort to make the world what I want it to be. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, words it this way. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Work, work it, work it. That's why we're here. That's why God put us here. It's the most natural exercise and function of the human being, Dorothy Sayers says. These little representations of God put here to shape culture and Continue the work that God began in creation. We're here because we're workers. Now, we know from the Bible and from our own personal experience that you flip over another page of the Bible and everything kind of goes south. Sin enters the picture. We call it the fall and everything is corrupted a little bit. Everything gets tainted and sort of soured and ruined, including 
work. Work is no longer just joyful and energizing and following this beautiful rhythm of investment and then rest as God exemplified at the beginning. But instead we find things like, oh, it's tedious. It starts to get burdensome sometimes. It consists of painful toil and you you can't even plant a garden and enjoy the fruit of it with all the thorns and the thistles and somebody comes and eats it and and you, you got the sweat of your brow. So work gets to be a little tedious and tainted, corrupted like everything else. But in the fullness of time, you see, like everything else that is tainted and corrupted, God sends his own self, the ultimate micro-representation of himself, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate worker onto the planet who shows up to start fixing this place. And so God, it is revealed through Jesus in this thing he calls the kingdom of God. God is still at work, still creating. God is saying, I'm making all things new through Jesus Christ. And then he invites us to partner with him in the renewal and the redemption of all things. So even work, which got a little spoiled and soiled, can now be redeemed because we're invited to be co-creators, partners with God in him putting the world back together again. And that's what work really is. That's our purpose. That's our reason That's how your life matters. You were made on purpose, with a purpose, for God's purposes. Which means that when we think of work, and I've had days like this where, you know, it just feels like work just stinks. Where when we think of work as drudgery, we're we're living more under the influence of sin in those moments. We're living more under the curse than we really are under the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. But when we understand that we can redeem work by recognizing that everything we do when we do it in the image of God to the glory of God is part of the purposes of God, when we do it that way and that we're joining God and what he's really doing in the world in a redemptive way, wow, then our work, it's not something of drudgery. It gives us dignity. It's not a pain. It gives us purpose. It's not a grind. It's a gift. And there's your theology of work from the very first page of the Bible. Your life is is about a purpose that is found in God's purposes. So the question, when you go to a party, it's like, hey, how you doing? I'm Ben. Yeah, yeah. I'm wife, Carla. Yeah, I got a kids. Yeah, what do you, yeah, yeah. what's the next question? You do a little chit-chat, you know, mumble, mumble, mumble. And then what's the very next question always? Oh, what do you do? Or slash, where do you work? We make a beeline to it because we're preoccupied with occupation, aren't we? Now, but this is a good time for us to maybe just kind of think about a distinction that I think is pretty helpful. Helpful to me, maybe to you. There's a difference between this occupation and vocation. We use the word vocation today almost just like synonymous with job. What's your vocation? Oh, I'm a teacher. We mean it like a job. But that's not what the word means. Okay? And it's worth separating this out a little bit. Like occupation is what occupies your time. That's what you spend a bunch of your time doing. 
You may even get paid to do it. That's your job. Your occupation is your profession. You have an occupation. Even if you're at home or, or retired, you still have stuff that occupies your time. And if you have a job, that's your occupation. But a vocation is different. A vocation comes from the Latin word vocare. And it means to name something or to calling. See, you choose your occupation, but God gives you your vocation. Occupation's your job, but vocation is your calling. Occupation, you can change every day of the week if you want to, but vocation goes down deep and it connects with who you are, not just what you do. It connects with your passions and your gifts and your experiences and all that God has put you on this planet as a little representation of himself to do. It's deep down inside. One person said, your calling, your vocation, is found at the intersection of three things. Your gifts and skills and talents and passions. The world's great need. And God's purposes. Where those three things come together. Something that God is doing and cares about in this world. Where the world is still broken and has a need. Where you care and have a passion and a skill and can do something. You found your calling. That's something that you can do. And if you're blessed, you know, to have an occupation that allows you to fulfill some of your vocation. Great. But they're not always the same. But our occupation is sanctified and can be made holy when we do it all for the glory of God. Of God. So, friends, put it this way our purpose isn't just to work as if work was an end in itself, but rather work that God gives us to do gives us purpose to contribute, to have a life of consequence, to be useful, however small it may seem at that given moment. I love the story of of the, the people that took the big tour of the cathedral way back centuries ago. Important dignitaries were getting walked through and they were looking at the high arches and the amazing frescoes and all the vast cavernous rooms in this massive cathedral that was still under construction and they were meeting the architect and the chief engineer and all the painters and all this. And On their way out... They walked by this elderly gentleman in a disheveled outfit covered with dust who was just sweeping up some shards of tile that had broken and cleaning up a few things, dumping it in the trash. And one of the tour people looked at him and said, well, and what are you doing? And that gentleman rose up held his broom and he said, I am building a cathedral to Almighty God. Because he understood that whatever we do, however small, when it's done on purpose for God's purposes, is glorious. So your occupation may be sweeping shards, but your vocation is to bring glory to God. And you won't find that in a job alone. No occupation can fill that place in the human heart. When you're created in God's image, it's not just to do work, but to represent God and His work. So, 
as we think about this and us being image bearers, it helps us break down like the difference between sacred and secular, like there are certain sort of super spiritual things and then secular things over here like in the workaday world. No. As we're sent into the world, we're, we're, we're not to believe this false dichotomy that the most spiritual things that really count for God and His work are like if you're a pastor or a missionary or something like that. No. The Bible doesn't know anything about that false dichotomy. As if way down the list are those secular jobs like nurse or teacher or construction worker or mail carrier. If you're created on purpose, with a purpose, for God's purposes, and God's hand is present with you, whatever profession, to help us fulfill the mandate to, to build culture, which means you can serve God You can fulfill your vocation in any number of occupations, including business, media, technology, the arts, politics. Because God isn't limited to what happens in church. The church is us. It's the people of God, and he has sent us to work and to build this culture, to build things, and to do good, and to be salt, and to be light, to be his representation who understand, man, I'm, I'm not here by accident. I'm not here just for myself. Work isn't just so a means to an end so I can get some money and then do the stuff I really want to do, which is sit on my rear end uh, sipping a cocktail. No, we're people who realize we're here because we're on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is God's purpose. So where is God placing you to represent him, to represent him? Where is that? I can tell you, if you go to work every day, that's one of the places right there. So now we go to 1 Peter. See, see how Peter has to say about this. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Here's what he says. Now remember who you are. He says you're a chosen people. You're a little different. And he says you're a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, people belonging to God. Declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The first thing Peter says we are, whatever occupation you have, your vocation is you're a priest. You represent God to the world. He's saying the same thing a different way. And this then, he says, is why in chapter 3 he says you got to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that wherever you go to everyone who asks, you be ready because you're a priest is always on duty. You don't change it and take, just take your collar off and now you're not a priest anymore. No, you're a priest all the time, meaning you represent God. Verse chapter 4, he says this whole new way of looking at life and work and priorities. Chapter 4, verse 2, he says, so you're not going to spend the rest of your life like everybody else. Like, I'm just going to chase after my desires. So I go get a job. I get, you know, I want to get more money so I can build a bigger house. And all that. As if work then, it just dehumanizes us and, and gives us these things that moth and rust destroy. But he says, you're not like that. You're instead going to be anxious to what? To do the will of God. That's a different way of thinking about our lives. And then he goes on to say, Your life is short. The clock is ticking. So instead of just clocking in and clocking out at work, you need to be thinking about, verse 7, he says, the end of the world is coming. So what? He says the end of the world is coming. So you need to think that way. You need to live like time is short. I got one life. What am I going to do? And he gives us the answer. Verse 10. Well, I'll tell you. It says God's given each of you a gift. From his great variety of spiritual gifts, use them well. Don't just, if the end of the world is coming, don't just sit around. 
Or don't just say, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and do something for yourself, but use the gifts God's given you to serve others. Now you're living on purpose for God's purposes. So what are you good at, he says. Verse, verse 11 says, let's think about it. Do you have the gift of speaking? I do. God gave me that gift. So I'm speaking to you, but it's not just me. It's God speaking through me. Speak as though God himself were speaking through you. How about you? Do you, do you have the gift of helping others? Some of you do. Well, when you do that, do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. He created you and sent you out in his image to go do that. What are you good at? What do you do? Do it as a reflection of God, the hands and feet of God, to bring God into the world through that gift. That's how we do God's work. I, I love the way my sister Kathy does this. Kathy lives in California. She's an occupational therapist. Here's what she says. Sometimes I wake up with a fatigue in my soul and I doubt that I can do my job well or make a difference. Anybody relate to that? I, I, I slog up the stairs in the hospital breathing a prayer through my mask God, help me every step of my day. Help me to be your hands, to bring your touch to someone through my work. You see that? Your hands, your touch, but my work. That's what Peter's talking about. She goes on to say it brings wonder and tears to my eyes when I see that he's doing just that sometimes. It's more than a coincidence that often on those very same days, people will say something to me like, God sent me an angel today. When I see how my skills make a huge difference in the life of my patients and their families, it brings tremendous fulfillment. I thank God for the privilege to use the gifts he's given me and apply my efforts and find such joy in it. I put the whole rest of her statement on my Facebook page. You can go check that out. But you know what an angel is? An angel is a messenger, a representation of God. So when that person said, you're an angel, they weren't lying. Because that's exactly how God sends every single one of us who wear his name into the world. To be on mission every time, all day. Our work, but his hands. I know, uh, yeah, our work, but his hands. So Peter, go back to Peter now. Verse 11, remember he says, so what are you good at? You need to answer that question. Because God's given you experiences and gifts and strengths. What is it? Is it, is it the gift of speaking? Is it the gift of helping others? What, what is it? But then go on. Look at the next verse. As the verse continues on, it says this. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. That's why we're here. That's what our work is about. To bring glory to God through everything we do. At work, at church, at play, all the time. So I, I don't know if you like classical music or not. Um, I go in little binges where I get in the mood, you know, and I'll play something classical for a while. And one of the greats of all time, of course, is Johann Sebastian Bach. He wrote, like some people, it would take him a lifetime to compose one of these masterpieces. And then he wrote like a thousand of them. He's a prodigy. He's crazy. It's amazing. But you know, at the end of every piece of music, he signed with two sets of initials. First, his own, JSB. You just write JSB on the end of the thing there. Sign his name. This is my work. But then, 
he'd always add three more letters, S-D-G. Did you know that? It's short for a Latin phrase, soli deo gloria, which means glory to God alone. All the glory goes to God. Music was his work. What's your work? Your initials are on something. And the question is, as you put your initials on that body of work that you do in a classroom or on a computer screen or with people you help or things you build or stuff you fix, things you create or lawns you mow or programs you write or dishes you wash or stuff that you sold, whatever it is, your initials are on it. Don't forget to add the other three letters, S-D-G, soli, deo, gloria, because that's how we find what we're really looking for, which is our purpose, meaning, and it all goes to the glory of God. So the Bible echoes this right and left over and over and over again. Romans 12 says it this way. Here's what I want you to do. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, and going to work life, the walking around life, the normal, and place it before God as an offering. Here it is, God. You gave me these gifts. I'm giving them back. Colossians 3. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord. Go to work in the morning like your boss is Jesus because he is. Then you will have the right master. You'll realize that you're serving Christ. Joanne Holhouse does this so well. She says, all work makes a difference when you remember who you're doing it for. I want my faith to be the foundation of life, whether I'm on the mission field or at home or in the hospital where I work. My workplace can be a challenging mission field because of the culture there that doesn't really yet understand the love of Christ. I I know that when I'm working under the Lord and not under men, it will make a difference. So I strive to have a work ethic that gives more than it takes. I don't backbite my coworkers or managers. I strive to go the extra mile for my patients who are very sick. I guess it's striving to have the mind of Christ. And when God gives me the opportunity, I pray with my patients and I share the hope that we have. It's truly a privilege to pray with patients who are battling cancer. And God has been giving me strength through tough shifts and forgives me when I fail to shine his light. And people are so hungry for love and hope and truth. I pray for more boldness and wisdom to share Christ in my workplace. J.H. Joanne Holhouse, S.D.G. She gets it. And this is why Paul will say in Colossians 3, words that I hope every one of us can say. Colossians 3, 16, 17. Let the message about Christ in all its fullness fill your life. And if Christ is in you, and now you're going to work, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord, giving thanks to him through God the Father. Friends, the marketplace where God has placed you is your mission field. That's the place where God wants us to work and to be at work. We sometimes talk about doing ministry like it has to happen in a church, and it's not. God always has worked through people who had jobs and did the ministry there on the. Don't forget, Deborah was a judge. That's what she did. She went to work as a judge. Daniel really was a government worker. Luke really was a doctor. 
Paul really did make tents. Peter really was a fisherman. Lydia really did, you know, work as a businesswoman. In whatever marketplace God has placed you in, that's your mission field. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out workers, 70 disciples who are supposed to heal the sick and do all this amazing stuff to announce the kingdom of God. They're preparing the way in the very locations where Jesus wants to show up next. So he sends out these people two by two and he says, um, just go find someone and work your way. You know, if they invite you into their home, that's where you'll stay. Don't take much with you, no extra food or, or anything like that. Just, just go and if they, if they welcome you, then you stay there. In other words, he sent them out to find people who would welcome them on their turf, not the disciples' turf. And I think sometimes in the church, we still think the main goal is to always get everyone into church as a first step. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I, I love when people come to church and we've got a great church and one of the things that you can do as a worker in, in, in this church is to say, I'm gonna go to work and I have a place to say, come and see and hang out with this community and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. It's just that that's not the primary way Jesus did it. When you go to work, you're doing what Jesus said when he said go and make disciples. When he said the harvest fields are ripe, he, he said, go to work. When you go to that boardroom, that classroom, that workplace, when you sit down with a client or turn that wrench, when you write that lesson plan, God is there in it for eyes that will see. My friend Mike Rittler, one of our elder, elder buddies, it pains me to put a picture up of Mike with the Philadelphia Eagles there, but there actually is no photograph of Mike where he's not wearing some Eagles paraphernalia, so that's the best I could do. Here's what he has to say. About 15 years ago, I had a crisis. I had come to faith a little later in life at 31 years old, and now I was approaching a decade as a Christ follower. My job had taken me from New Jersey to Maryland about four years into my faith walk, and I had to find a new church and community to grow in my faith, but I was at a crossroads. I was succeeding and advancing at my job, but I felt like my best efforts were being expended at work and it left very little left over for kingdom building efforts. I, I felt like a failure, like the most important part of my life, fulfilling God's great commission wasn't being done. And so I contemplated quitting my job and going full-time into ministry work, but I was so conflicted because I also knew that God had really gifted me to do what I was doing and to be in the place I was with the contacts and the influences I had. So I had this crisis, the conflict of full-time ministry Fulfillment of what he sent me to do versus the career that required so much of my time and effort. Well, fortunately, God brought it all together for me, revealing that there really is no conflict at all between ministry and mission and being a part of business in the marketplace. God revealed that the unique access and positioning that I had through my profession allowed me to influence and impact for Christ in ways that were never available to me in full-time ministry. I began to be intentional, demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit in the workplace. I was never 100% successful, mind you, but I tried. I shared biblical principles of leadership with my colleagues. And most importantly, I began to care and love the people I was working with. I got intentional about getting to know them and helping when they had a need and listening and responding and empathizing and all the things that you see Jesus do. I'll be the first to say I didn't get it right, and a lot of times I flat out messed up. But I was convicted to be the best missionary or minister I could be 
on the job. And so 15 years later, I'm so thankful that God revealed this marketplace ministry approach to me. And I'm thankful for all the encouragers along the way. I know that full-time ministry now is more than a position. It's my attitudes and actions and influence that I have in the places that God puts me. Everyone, he says, is in full-time ministry. It's just a question of where you're called to minister. Amen, 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 Mike. Where do you work? Not the most important question. What's your calling? That's the most important question. Because you're made on purpose for a purpose. And that's God's purpose. Last week we had so many powerful experiences. One day we went and visited a skills training center at part of Missions of Hope there in Nairobi. Under-resourced communities of extreme poverty need empowerment and opportunities to learn skills and trades which can lift them up out of their circumstances. And so this whole new skills training thing is there. We saw a baking school that, that so many here at Mountain, you guys have invested in. Jill Shuck and Sandy Stelges, and you guys have invested in that these women are learning this skill and this trade. We saw, we saw people learning how to thread a pipe and becoming plumbers. We saw people working in a beauty salon, learning skills, weaving uh, hair and, and, and hand massages. We saw people in a sewing lab, learning those kind of skills, making skirts, automotive students, masonry students. We saw this guy, John, uh, who welcomed us into his electronics class as he was teaching a beginning unit on safety. Don't stand in water when you work in electricity, right? And all these jobs are there, and they're all so important. But while we were just kind of walking around, uh, Jill uh, Shuck was filming this segment for the virtual mission trip on baking. And so I had some extended time. So did Anthony Wanjogu, our campus pastor at Edgewood. And we found ourselves in an extended conversation with four young men. They were so intrigued. They wanted to talk about America. They wanted to talk about education. But we started talking. They were all from the electronics program. We began to talk to them about life. And you could just see the conversation just evolve. They began to trust us. We listened intently. They began to, we had a little rapport. And so we just took it to the next level. And I just asked them, I said, so what do you really want to do with your life? What do you want to do next? Here's a picture of those guys. Abdallah. Abdallah and Kevin wanted to go into the army. They told us why. And Javon wanted to open his own electrician business. And Joseph, he said, maybe I'll be a preacher. And we, we asked them deeper questions like, you know, well, how, how do you have a relationship with God? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you have any involvement in the church? And Abdallah was a Muslim and he respected Christ, but no, he did not. And, and, and have a relationship with Christ really as a Lord and Savior. And the others really were very nominal, very, very on the outside. And Anthony, Anthony began to kind of press in a little bit and and uh, use a little bit of his Swahili and speak to them. And, and as, as we heard these answers, what you want to do, army, electrician, even pastor, we just had this deep sense that they were, they were talking at this level of what their occupation was going to be. And that was what their life was going to be like. And we realized all of that in the end of the day, army electronics, that's occupation. It doesn't matter if they don't know their true vocation, which is in Jesus Christ. And sensing their receptivity and their openness of spirit, we just continued to talk with them. And Anthony finally 
invited them to pray a prayer to just say, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of my life and I want to give my life to him and whatever I end up doing with my life, I want to serve him first and foremost because I don't care if you're in the army, I don't care if you're in the electronics business, I don't care if you're a pastor, you need Jesus. That's the difference between occupation and vocation and friends, this Labor Day, I hope that you know that. By the way, postscript, as soon as we landed on the ground, we got word that the pastor in that church, we had left word, these three guys told us they wanted to receive Christ and they're ready for baptism. They prayed with us that day. We gave them their names. He looked them up. He sent us a video. I got it on my phone of those three boys being baptized. Abdullah, we're still praying for. But the beauty is, not just that those boys got baptized, but that they know their true calling, their true vocation in Christ, that they're created in the image of God on purpose, for a purpose. And I hope that you know that too. Everyone, every one of us signs our initials to our life, B-A-C. And the whole purpose is to put S-D-G to the glory of God alone below it. I'm thankful those boys are on that track and there's so much more to do. The only thing I can say to you is let's get to work. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for giving us work to do, for giving us a purpose and a, a reason to be. Thank you for giving us gifts to bring to the table and to serve. And so now I pray for those who are struggling with occupations that they don't like, for those who are struggling with occupations